There's a great many things uh, that we should know. Uh, certainly we should know that his wounds have, have paid our ransom. Uh, but there are a number of essentials, uh, a number of things that God would consider non-negotiable about himself, what we know of him, and who we are meant to be as a people. And this morning we're continuing on in a series on, on Christian essentials, uh, the heart of the church, hence the, the funny picture of a heart up there. Uh, week two, last week we looked at... Uh, being equipped with God's word, uh, that God gives us his word, that he speaks to us and reveals himself and his plans and his will to us for a purpose so that we might know how to live and how to serve well. Today we look at deep and authentic relationships, that we as a church should be a people of deep and authentic relationship. And as we look at that, uh, I have a little video to, to introduce us to this topic. Let's have a look. What makes you two different from each other? Um... I used to not like letters, but now I like letters. I do not like letters at all. Lucy loves tomato sauce, and I... I do like it, but I don't, like, love it as much as Lucy. don't have the same... Our orphan is down the hill and I no, live, I live the hill. up the hill. No, I have smaller toes than Artie. Addie likes Goujon and chips and I like sushi. And they're different. She never stops talking. We've got different hair. He, um, Lucian has, that doesn't have squirrels in the roof. We have squirrels mm. in the leaf. Roof, so we can't watch television that much because it's biting all the wires. Both. I'm good at gymnastics and, and, and Kayla May is good at swimming. I'm not good at dancing. I am. You're a defender and I'm a defender. No, I'm not anymore. I used to be, no, I'm not. No, we're not. What? Good accountant, and I'm good at hiding. <laughs> and Matthew's he's, good he's at... better tig. And, Muff, and Matthew's good at um, staying in den. When it comes to difference, children see things differently. Aren't they cute? It's amazing, isn't it? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know at what point friends sit down to compare the size of each other's toes... I don't know what there's a mark of, um, how you would even know that information. But the kids are adorable, aren't they, the way they see it? I mean, it, what, it makes you kind of think, at what point do they learn to, look, to notice the real important stuff? You know, the things that they're, they're taught. I mean, because you, you sat there knowing the important things in you as you saw those, those pairs. You went, I know the difference immediately. Um, it's amazing. Kids just see things differently. Uh, and what I want to say is that God sees things differently as well. What does God see when he looks at his church? What does he see when he looks at his people? Uh, and, and what does he think of the church? Uh, and if he thinks something about the church, we should think it too. And I think he thinks many things about the church. I think he, he thinks that the church is um, his body. It is his bride. It is something that, that he has brought together. And so we're going to look this morning at, at three concepts. Um, 
I shouldn't have used that word because that's my first thing. Uh, we're going to look at the concept. Um, we're going to look at the challenge. And we're going to look at the... Are they not up there? No. The warning. Thank you. So the concept that it is a close family. Uh, the challenge that it's a diverse family. And the warning, don't expect it to be ideal. So let's have a look at these three things. Firstly, the concept. And I don't think I need to spend a lot of time on this. I think this is something you're really familiar with, that when we talk about the church, um, we, we know that it is meant to be a body of people gathered together, living um, with one another, deeply impacting one another in authentic relationship, that it's meant to be a tight-knit, loving community. We, we, we know all this, but a few verses to sort of stir us in this direction. Um, John 13, 34 to 35, says this. It says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now that there is just incredible, that, that you would love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. God's sitting here saying, you guys need to love one another with a God-like love. You need to have that sacrificial, all-encompassing, never-failing, gracious kind of love, that servant attitude towards one another, that you'll be a community that, that will be defined by this. When people look at you, in fact, uh, when, you love for, when you love one another, it'll prove that you're mine. People will look at you and go, oh my goodness, who are these people? What a lovely group of people. They're unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, there is a, this is a high and lofty concept, isn't it? This is an ideal image that God has of his people, that we would be loving uh, with the love of God. John seventeen twenty one goes on. It says, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. Uh, now, this comes from a, a prayer of Jesus. I, lo I love this section of Scripture. This is Jesus at the end of his ministry. He knows he's about to depart to be with the Father once more. And he, he prays for the church. And what's the thing God prays for them as he's about to go? He knows they're going to be tested. He knows they're going to be attacked. But he says, I pray they would be one. Now, what does that one look like? What is that one? How would you describe that? That we would be one. Um, is it a spiritual oneness? Is it that you know somehow God spiritually makes us all one? Uh, is it a, a visible oneness? Is it that we would actually visibly get together and practically be, be together, that we're one group, that, that, uh, that, that, that the churches of Canberra should, should meet more together and be, be one? And that's certainly what the ecumenical movement um, would be pushing for, this visible oneness. Is it structurally that we would all be part of the one? church ultimately should all this denominationalism uh, and fracturing and splinting go in reverse that we go back to being one church is that what it means is it doctrinally that theologically we would be one we would all think the same things we would all agree uh, on on what the bible and the scriptures say is it unity and service um, that uh, god says you know they'll know you by your love um, for one another that, that we should be out there serving and doing the the same things and and joining in joint programs and, and projects with others, serving together? Or is it just mutual recognition that, that we sit here separate to the others, but we look and go, oh yes, you're one of us, that's all right, you're one of us. Um, you know, I'm not too sure about you, I don't know where to put you, um, and you're definitely not. Um, you know, mutual recognition, is that, the, I mean, what is the oneness that Jesus speaks of here, that they would be one? Um, I'm not about to give any answers. But you can see it's complex, but it's also lofty. It's this 
oneness is something that, that is always kind of just out of reach, isn't it? No matter what we do, it's, it's something that, that God longs for within us. There's something within us that, that wants to be part of that as well. We want to be part of whatever God's part of, and we want to be part of that oneness. But what exactly that is? I don't know. Um, so there's no denying that the scriptures will talk again and again and again about the church being the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, this, um, this group of people who God brings together. Uh, the one thing we have in common is that we are Christ's, that we belong to him. That is the one thing we all have in common. And, and as we come together, we meant, we're meant to reflect the heart and the nature and the love of God to the world. I mean, that, that's an incredible concept, isn't it? We're using the language deep and authentic, that, that we would have deep and authentic relationships with one another while we are here. That, that God would, would have us doing... Uh, life together in such a way that, that we would impact one another and we would, we would help to mature one another and hone one another, uh, that we would do all those one another's, you know, the one another passages, don't you? you serve one another, love one another, um, eat with one another, fellowship with one another, any other one another's I'm missing, give to one another, yeah, there's heaps of them, you know, again, we don't need to go on with this concept, we all know the church is meant to be awesome, but that right there is the problem, isn't it? Is it? Is the church awesome? Uh, who here has not been disappointed or frustrated or let down or hurt um, or angry with the church? Because it's just simply not that, is it? It's not this great, wonderful thing that, that, that God calls it to be. And here comes the challenge uh, that it is a diverse family. I'm going to... Uh, turn to another favourite passage, Acts 2. Now, Acts 2, we love to turn to Acts 2 because that finishes with that little section on, and the early church, you know, they, they met together and they gathered and they prayed and they saw, and they spread the gospel and they supported the apostles and they listened well and they did what they were told and God added to their number and no one was in need. They shared. We, we'd love that passage. But before that, okay, because that's the image we have of the, the early church. Before that, we read... Chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 12. And here we have this scene. The early church, the, those first few apostles and disciples that were close to Jesus, um, they are, they're basically in hiding. They, they're just in a room. Now, God had told them to go to Jerusalem and wait, but they're, they're, there's a small band of them in a room just waiting. Uh, and the day of Pentecost um, arrives, and this is the day where, where Jesus... Uh, promises, you know, you, I will send the, the advocate, the one who will be with you forever and, and will help you. And so we read this story. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. 
here were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. And so Paul goes on to to explain to them and to, to tell them what has taken place, all about the life of Jesus and his promises to them, and now the Spirit arriving, descending to, to birth the church. And he goes on in verse 39, This promise is to you, to your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God, Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners. I said Paul before, didn't I? Peter. Um, Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptised and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Now let's face it. It's like God looks at the church, this little group of like-minded people who've journeyed together for for three years now, following Jesus around. They're they're a tight-knit. They've been forged through fire. Um, They've come through the other side, and and they're ready to to, to wait for what is next with God. And what does God do? It's like he just goes, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. I'm going to make things a bit messy. I mean, imagine it. People from everywhere... Different cultural backgrounds, languages, nations, different, different peoples, different as you can get, all gathered in this place. And God says, you know, this nice little homogenous group of Jews that you've got here following Jesus, guess what? That's not church. This is church. And he goes, boom. And all of a sudden, 3,000 are added to their number that day. 3,000 people from everywhere getting together. Now, I don't know about you, but who's ever experienced culture shock? You know, most of us have, some haven't. Um, a lot of you I know have. We're, we're a little bit like that. We've, we've got people from, from different nations and countries and languages mixing here, and it's really hard. It's messy. If you were to put a plan in place, if you were the, the strategically minded kind of person and you thought, how, do we, how are we going to grow the church? There is no way you would say, hey, let's just throw a bunch of randoms in and see how that works. You, know, you would make a plan, wouldn't you? Let's start with the Jews. Let's, let's build on what we've got. We've got a good core here. Let's strengthen that and then let's, let's slowly build. And then we'll send a little working group and a party out there and we'll start with that group of people and, and let's slowly... Be, but God just says, no, nah, that's not church. This is church. And he throws them all together and says, now be church. Uh, and there's a wisdom in that. There's a wisdom in the messiness, in bringing different people together. Because God wants his people to be like him. He wants him that the church to love like he loves. And he knows we don't. He knows we don't love like he does. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to force you to love like me. I'm going to force you. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to pair you with the person that annoys you most in this world. Um, it's not your spouse. Some of you think it is, but it's not. Um, I'm going to pay you with the person who annoys you most, and, and you're going to learn to love them. You're going to learn to love them. 
Because that's the kind of love I have. I have the kind of love that loves anybody, that doesn't exclude anybody, that has no boundaries or limitations to it. It is a grace-filled love that shows mercy to all people. And I'm going to chuck you in the deep end, mix you around with all sorts of people, and you're going to learn to be one in that context. And it is only in the messiness, it's only in that context that we can ever truly break free from the natural boundaries and limitations we have in our own life, the limits we put on ourselves about who we can love and how we can love and where we can love. And we're going to strip those away because we're going to chuck in the deep end out of your comfort zone and you're going to learn what love is. That's church. That's messy. That's church. Anyone disagreeing at this point in time? No, I see lots of people going, yeah, they're damn right, that's church. <laughs> it is messy and it lets me down all the time. And I'm constantly out of my comfort zone. And I'm constantly offended and irritated and annoyed. And, and, but that's church. And God in his wisdom says that's how it has to be. That's how it has to be. But you know what? Just because it's messy, just because it gets awkward, just because... I get offended at times or uncomfortable, does not mean you run away from it. Do you run away from your biological family? Do you run from that, as messy and as awkward as that can get at times? And they're people who've been indoctrinated like I have. My, my siblings grew up in the same house. Uh, we, we listened to the same words from our parents. They, they enculturated us and indoctrinated us to, to be the same. And, and even when... I'm with people who are as similar to me as, as any. I still clash with them, but, but I don't run from it because they're family. I can't run from family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we don't run from that. And that's why God calls the church family. You are now mine. You are mine. And, and there is a new newness there. Galatians 3, 26, 29 says it beautifully. It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We are family. You don't run from family. As messy as it gets, as awkward as it gets, as disappointed as you get, and let's face it, when you've got such a high ideal, you are going to be let down, aren't you? You're going to be let down. That's just the way it is. And so what do we do with that messiness? Because when we have ideals, when we have expectations, we, we think, oh, church has to be like this. But when it happens, when it's not, what do you do with that? Which brings us to the third point, the, the warning. Don't expect it to be ideal. Don't expect it to be ideal. Let me illustrate it with this. Who has a, a food experience? You all should have. You've all eaten, haven't you? But who's got, one of those, who's got a food story? Like who, Who's got like, I ate this meal once and, oh, it was to die for. We've all had that. You can all think of those moments where you go, wow, I ate this thing and it changed my life you know, forever. Um, it was just incredible. And, and so I have many of those. But one of those times is when we're on anniversary. Now, that wasn't what I ate. That's as close, well, it's not even close to what I ate. Um, but, but parfait. Who's had parfait? There's some disgusting parfait out there. I can tell you that much. But um, we were at Rock Salt's restaurant on our anniversary and ordered this, I think it was banana and caramel something. Um, 
parfait and it was it was the greatest dessert I've ever eaten in my life it was just it came in a glass and it, it, it didn't look as colorful as bright as you know chocolate peanut butter pretzel parfait but um it, it was there and and you took one mouthful and you thought oh my goodness this this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten uh, now of course from that point forward I had set the benchmark for parfait hadn't I that was it. So every restaurant I went to, any time I saw parfait on the menu, what did I do? I ordered the greatest thing I had ever tasted in my life. And I ordered it, and what did I get? I got, dis- I got a cup full of disappointment. Um, I got a cup full of, of letdown, <laughs> of frustration, and, and, and sadness. Um, going, where did my parfait go? Now, of course, we went back to Rock Salt and never, ever have they served that parfait again. I've been tempted to, to ring the restaurant, talk to the chef and say, hey, look, I, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do because it was the greatest thing you've ever done. Um, that parfait you made, can I get the recipe? Um, it, it, now, the problem with, with having that, that great experience um, and the, I, I've tasted the ideal. Now in my mind, I've got this expectation of what the ideal should be like. Now, of course, what has that done to my experience of every other parfait I've eaten? It's robbed me of the joy. It's robbed me of, of the experience of eating every other parfait I've ever had. Because I've got this ideal image in my mind, and when it doesn't match up to that, I become critical. I, I become judgmental. Um, and and I, I can't escape that. And we do the same thing with church, don't we? We do the same thing in all areas of life, but we do the same thing with church. We All of us have this idea, this concept of what church should be. Now, for some of us, that's been shaped by our experience. We have gone to, to church. We've, we've been part of a fantastic Christian fellowship and community, Bible study group, whatever it might be. And, and we've experienced and tasted of the goodness of God in some way at church. Uh, and so we have this high, high mark, this, this benchmark uh, that, that we test everything against. And so when we come to church and it fails to live up to what we think it should be, what do we do? We, we naturally judge it. We're critical. We're disappointed. We're hurt. We're sad. Um, it's not what it should be. And, and, and it's hard not to respond like that, isn't it? But the, the funny thing is it's a very natural process we will all go through. Uh, when you first encounter church, whether you're raised in it or you come to it later in life, however you are, we will, we will come to church and, and there's a newness and a freshness about it. Um, and you probably remember the first time you heard things, you, the, the first time you heard the love of God explained and, and it made sense, the first time that the, the Old and the New Testament sort of clicked and you went, oh, it's one story and, and this is why David and Goliath has something to do with Jesus. And, and, and you remember those marks and there's so much learning and so fresh and new and it's exciting. Uh, but the older you get, you realise there is far fewer times and moments where things are exciting and things are new and things are fresh. Far fewer. And we can start thinking, you know, wow, church used to be so exciting and wonderful. That preacher when I was young, you know, I guarantee the greatest preacher you've ever heard is probably one of the very first preachers you've ever heard. It's always the case. Um, If you've been around 50 years, I guarantee I'm not the greatest preacher you've ever heard. I'm up there. But I'm probably not the greatest one, okay? Um, Now... That's natural, that's normal, because 
it was new and fresh. And so it gets a bit old. I've heard this before. I've heard this before. That is normal. But what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Because we all have this image. And now some of us might have ever experienced church at its best. We might go, well, I've never been part of a great church. But we still have the Bible, don't we? And we look at what the church should be. And we're told by God how it should be this loving, caring, accepting place that transforms the world. And so we've even got God's ideal image of what the church should be. And then we come along to it and experience it and just go, what just happened there? Is this the same? Are they reading the same scriptures as me? Is this the like? Do I walk into the same the wrong group? I don't know. It's it's messier than I thought it would be. It falls far short. What do you do with that? How do you cope with it? How do you wrestle with it? Because our expectations can actually be the thing that cripples community, that cripples the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, one of uh, the guys I love to read, um, Hero of the Faith for me, German preacher who stood against the Nazi regime, um, sort of exiled from Germany because of it, ends up going back despite the risks and, uh, and pays with his life as a martyr. Um, but uh, in his time in exile away from Germany, he spent some time in some, some monastic type communities where uh, Christians were seeking to live intentionally with one another, uh, daily um, looking at the scriptures together and, and living out what, what life in Christ could be like together. Uh, in some of his time spent, he wrote a book called Life Together and Prayer Book of the Bible. Uh, and he has this to say, He says, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian community in which we've been placed, even when there are no great experiences, no noticeable riches, but much weakness, difficulty and little faith, and if on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is so miserable and so insignificant and does not at all live up to our expectations, then we hinder God from letting our community grow according to the measure and riches that are there for us all in Christ Jesus. Essentially, we're saying, if you constantly look at your church, just go, how pathetic is it? Look at the letdown. What a failure it is. We're not... That if we're constantly disappointed, constantly sad with the state of things, constantly judging it to be falling short, if we're constantly critical of the church, then we are placing judgment on it and who are we really placing judgment on are we judging the church or are we really judging who the church belongs to when we judge god's church when we say i'm when we are not grateful for the church god has given us we are expressing ingratitude towards god We're saying, God, I'm not grateful for the church you've given me. I'm not happy with what you're doing with this church right now. I'm not happy with the circumstances here. Because after all, it is not our church, it is his church. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes on to express that, that every day, every day, as imperfect as the church community he is part of, he gives thanks for it. That the only way to avoid being critical of the church is to be grateful for the church to express gratitude to God. Thank you, God, for this church, as broken as it is, but this is the church you've given me and I'm grateful for where I am and what you have given us. It's not to say we are blind to the faults and the flaws of it. It's not that we don't discuss it. It's not that we don't try to resolve issues that exist there. But we come and our base response is one of gratitude. Thank you, God, 
because I recognize that this is not my church, this is your church. That you have built this church, that you have placed each person into place, that you have equipped this church. In fact, it gets us to the, the verse for our sermon today, Ephesians two nineteen to 22. And as I read this verse, I want you to, to be looking, you know, whose church is this? Uh, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. That rock that holds it all together is Christ himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Who's doing the making? Who's doing the building? Who is, who is at work here shaping his church and building it? It is God. God is at work. God is at work. And so when we say, sorry God, I'm not great, this church is useless, hopeless. Well, you're commenting on the handiwork of God. There is a moment where we need to be grateful for the ins and outs. Church is meant to be messy. Church is meant to be messy. Church is meant to stretch you and push your buttons. It's meant to frustrate you and annoy you. It's meant to show you the limitations of who you are so that you can break through those. And the church is the only place that can happen because we're the only place where God empowers us to do that. We're the only place where God himself says, I will empower you. I will strengthen you. I will build you. How else do you overcome it when someone offends you? We overcome that through, through forgiveness and through mercy. How else do we, we put up with someone who is so flawed? Because we ourselves recognize that we are flawed, that we are sinful, that, that, that we deserve nothing but death and punishment and separation from God, that that's our lot. And yet if it was not for the mercy of God and the grace of God, I would have nothing. Why would I ever withhold that from someone else? It is the grace of God that empowers us as different as we are to get on. I'm going to coin a phrase here. It's a Jamesism. Um, it's that, that we need to become um, unoffendable as Christians, don't we? That, that we've become so thick-skinned and yet so sensitive at the same time that, that, that we can stand with one another and go, you know what, you're my brother and sister and even though you've let me down, even though you're flawed, even though I'm annoyed and frustrated, I forgive you, I love you. I'm still tender-hearted towards you. Why? Because God has forgiven me. It is only the power of the gospel that equips us, as diverse as we are, to be one to be one you don't get that anywhere else there is nowhere else that offers the same kind of forgiveness grace mercy out there any other group and so we are as we're the language we're using we are to to be we had to have that ideal and that concept that we are deep and authentically involved and engaged with one another that we're living together richly and closely. We're not some superficial relationship group. We're not some social club that you come have a good time and, and leave and go, wasn't that nice? Uh, that's not the church. It is messy. And we are meant to live together. Now, there's all sorts of challenges in that for us, isn't there? How do we do that? How are we engaged with other Christians? Uh, maybe I'm more engaged relationally outside of the church than I am within the church. Uh, 
they're all good questions to ponder and think about because God's goal and aim for us as his people is that we would gather, that we would be his church. It's essential to who we are. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for um, your church, uh, for the work you've done to build it. And we pray particularly for for this church, uh, for all that you have done here over many years. Uh, to build it, to place each stone in its place uh, that you've taken each one of us and you've placed us here. And we pray, Father, uh, that you would give us eyes that see not just what we can be, but what we are. We don't want to be blind to to where we fall short, uh, to where we do fail and where we sin, because we want to be able to repent from those things and, and turn towards you and to be more like you in every area. So help us not to be blind, Father. And help us never to lose sight of what we can be and what you are making us into. But I pray, Lord, you'd give each one of us the grace to be grateful for what we do have. That we would never be robbed of the joy of experiencing what you are doing in the moment because of what we long for and what we expect. Help us to be grateful. Help us to recognize you in the moment. And help us to think about how we can help each and every one of us. How we can help the church be more than it is currently. Bless us in this we pray. Amen.